Scripture reading today is from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, 4 through 9. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snake among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you will speak your truth and your grace to us from it. Amen. So, I want to touch on two very basic ideas today that I think arise from this passage. I want to talk first about the seriousness of sin, right? the seriousness of sin, and then I want to talk about the simplicity of salvation. Okay, so first, um, sin. God, God takes sin very, very seriously. You see that? in this passage. In Numbers chapter 21, the people of Israel, uh, they are traveling through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. They have been eating this stuff called manna that God provided for them every day. And we read here that they begin to complain about the food. Verse 5 says, they spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. So they began to complain. In response to these complaints, God brought judgment. In response to these complaints, God sent um, uh, poisonous snakes to bite the people, to kill many of them. God brought judgment. And I would imagine that these Israelites were not expecting that. I think this probably kind of caught them off guard. They're just not expecting that this sin of theirs was serious enough to merit that kind of judgment. And, and I think that for, for a number of reasons. First of all, you'll notice here that this sin that they commit, this, this was a sin that really only involved words and attitudes. It did not involve actions, right? They, you know, technically, they didn't really do anything wrong. They just, they just thought things. Right? They just said things. What's wrong with that? No one was hurt by it. I, I, had a, um, I had a friend in college who, after he got engaged, his fiancée would sometimes get angry with him because they'd, they'd be out together and he'd be looking at women and checking them out, talking about how nice they look. And, you know, this would anger her. And, and my friend's response to her was, hey, I didn't do anything. I didn't touch. 
of just thinking things, of just saying things. Well, you won't be surprised to learn that my friend's fiance did not find that answer very satisfying, right? She, she, she knew that you can betray a relationship without actually doing anything. You can betray a relationship just with your thoughts, just with your words. And, and what we need to understand that is that um, in Scripture, sin, yeah, it involves breaking rules, but sin is not primarily the breaking of a rule. No, sin is it's fundamentally the betrayal of a relationship. You see, the Bible says that God created human beings. It says in His image. God created you in His image. Among other things, that means that God created us for a relationship with Him, a relationship with Himself. And, you know, often, without technically doing anything, we, we can betray that relationship with God through, uh, through our ingratitude toward God, through, our, through fostering a, a rebellious mindset, through our self-pity, through, through our unbelief, through our pride. Kind of like my friend standing there with his fiancée, not doing anything, but um, just wandering eyes. We can do that with God. We can look outwardly like we're standing with the Lord, but inside our hearts are just pining after other things, things other than God and His glory. So we can betray God in our hearts. And Scripture says that God, listen, God takes these sins of the heart very seriously. In fact, often I, I think that God is far more concerned with what's happening in our hearts than He is with what's, what we're doing with our hands. He notices our inner thoughts. He, he, he's aware of our secret longings. He, he, he examines the hidden intentions behind our actions. Jeremiah 17 verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. I, I wonder if you have considered how God might be viewing what's happening in your heart today. But anyway, one reason I think the uh, Israelites might have underestimated the seriousness of this sin is because they were focused on outward behavior. This was something inside. Another reason they, they may have uh, overlooked how serious their sin was is because this sin that they commit here was a very common one. I mean, <laughs> everyone was doing it. It's not like just one or two Israelites were out there complaining about the food. You know, just one or two bad apples. You get, you get the sense that this was just kind of a widespread phenomenon. The whole nation was doing it. And what's more, you'll read in the book of Numbers that even some of their spiritual leaders on occasion had committed this very sin. Miriam and Aaron complained against Moses back in chapter 12. Korah and his colleagues did the same thing in chapter 16. Korah was a lead of, uh, leader of one of the Levitic, Levitical families. And so just think about it. I mean, listen, if everyone's doing it, if, if, even, if even some of our spiritual leaders approve of this, how can it be wrong? How can it be wrong to speak against God and Moses? Now, that, that was perhaps the attitude that they had. You know, it's just everyone's doing it. Sadly, would you agree with this? Sadly, that attitude is it's prevalent among many Christians today. 
Many people who call themselves Christians will actually set their moral standards according to whatever happens to be currently acceptable in our culture right now. I, I'm, I'm old enough to know that there are practices that um, just are accepted widely uh, by many believers today that when I was a kid, even the most liberal of Christians would have rejected them out of hand. And, and Jesus told us that as his followers, we are not to live that way. We, we are to let the Word of God be that which tells us what is right, what is wrong. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, He said, Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, he said, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you play golf or if you uh, ever watch golf on television, but sometimes golfers, before they take a shot, they'll bend down and pull some blades of grass out of the ground and throw it up in the air just to see which way the wind is blowing, right? I understand that, that is a, that's a great way to line up your, your chip shot. But that's a horrible way to live your life. To make, to, to make moral decisions that will have eternal consequence merely based on whatever direction the winds of our culture happens to be blowing in the moment. It, 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 the, the fact in, in this passage, the fact that everyone in the nation was doing it, we're all complaining, we're all bitter against what God is doing through Moses. Listen, the fact that everyone was doing that didn't make it okay. And here's the thing, it didn't dissuade God's from judging them. The Bible tells us on the, on the last day, God will not judge us uh, according to the standards of our culture. You know, today, church historians are often looking back with great, with great sorrow at leaders of the church in, in former generations who just went along with their culture, participated in the African trade slate. They just say, you know, and, and, and some people want to excuse this. Like, you know, that's just the way it was back then. They couldn't help it. It was their culture. God won't judge us by what's acceptable in our culture. He... He will judge us by the unchanging standards of His Word. So in this passage, maybe they didn't think it was such a big deal. I mean, we're not doing anything. It's just an internal attitude. Everyone's doing it. One more reason they, they may have underestimated the seriousness of their sin is because this sin they commit in this passage, this was actually a sin that they had committed many, many times before often without very much consequence. Someone has tabulated 14 different times, 14 times that the Israelites complained about what God was doing through Moses. Six times in the book of Exodus, eight times in, in the book of Numbers. Here in Numbers 21, this was the 14th time. So they had committed this sin again and again and again. And frequently, not always, but frequently, there, there was really no bad results from it. You know, yes, other people suffered because of this sin, but none of them had. In fact, you know, in Numbers 21, here they are. Yeah, they're complaining, but they're still alive, right? God, God is still providing for them. 
The sun still rises in the east every morning. There's still manna on the ground every day. So they're just saying, you know, listen, how bad can it be? We've been doing this a long time. Nothing bad has happened from this. Did you know, did you know that it's possible to engage in an ongoing pattern of sin for years without seeing any kind of negative repercussions from it? I mean, often God will overlook our, our wrongdoing because he is a patient, compassionate God. So sometimes God will even protect us from the consequences of our own wrong decisions. He's done that for me. Maybe he's done that for you. And, and, and God is patient. He's forgiven. Here's the danger, however. The danger in times like that is that we might, we might misinterpret God's kindness as permission. We, we might, we might mis, misinterpret his forbearance as an indication that he's, you know, he's really not bothered by our sin. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He said this, do you, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It's kind of like the guy in the hotel room who keeps, uh, he keeps taking stuff out of the mini bar and he keeps ordering stuff on, on room service and he thinks because he doesn't have to pay right then, he thinks the bill will never come. But the bill will come, won't it? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11 says, when a sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. But in verse 12 it says, Although a wicked person commits a hundred crimes and may live a long, long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before Him. So anyway, there are various reasons why I think the Israelites here may have been surprised that they were judged, surprised by the snakes. They probably didn't think their sin was such a big deal. It was just attitudinal. It wasn't in their actions. They weren't doing anything. By the way, everyone was involved in this. And, and, and they'd been doing this for a long time. Nothing bad had happened from it. They, they, they underestimated the seriousness of their sin. And so when I read this, you know what it makes me realize? It makes me realize that I probably do the same thing. You, you probably do the same thing. I, I, I'm sure there, there are probably attitudes in my heart that I just, none of you know about them. They're secret. It's not a big deal. They're things that everyone is doing. I just figure it's okay. Things that perhaps I've been doing a long time. I haven't suffered for it. There's a real danger that we might overlook this, right? John Calvin, the great reformer, he said this. He said, no, none of us knows even 1% of the sin that clings to our souls. So, we see here in this passage that though we may not know about our sin, God does, and he takes it very seriously. So we see the seriousness of sin, but we also see something else. We see the simplicity of salvation. God takes sin seriously, but God makes salvation amazingly simple. 
Verse 7 says, the people came to Moses. This is after they've been bitten and they've been burying their loved ones. They've been suffering the judgment of God. The people come to Moses and they say, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. I, I find that so interesting. Did you notice what they're asking? They're not asking to be forgiven, are they? They're not asking to be healed. They're just saying, ask God to take the snakes away. Don't you wonder why they said that? I, I, I wonder if, if maybe they're just thinking, um, ask God to take the snakes away so we can have another chance, just so, so we can try again. Maybe we'll do it better next time. If God would just take these snakes away, just give us a little breathing room, then those of us who've been bitten, we'd have some time to, to, to tend to our wounds. Maybe we can, we can get better, and if we do recover, then all of us, we can, just, we can work on improving our attitudes. We can try to watch our words, and we'll do, we'll do better next time if, we, if God would just give us another chance. You know, if, that, if that's how they're thinking, they're, they're assuming that for them to be saved from their sin, it's going to take some time. It's going to involve a lot of effort on their part. They'll, they'll probably never be complete with this, this project. This is what they're asking. Just, God, one more chance. We'll do better. Take the snakes away. What does God say? He says, no. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. That's too complicated. Even if I took the snakes away, I know you guys are going to start complaining anyway. They're going to come back. I just, that's not going to work. He's just, God is like, you're overcomplicating this. Let's keep this very simple. And so God says, Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. If anyone is bitten, they can look to it. They'll live. As simple as that. They must have thought, that's crazy, that's not going to work. But we read here in, in verse 9, so Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake looked at the bronze snake and lived. It's just so, it's so astonishing to me. You'll notice, isn't this, isn't this interesting? God did not ask the people to make the snake, right? Old Moses, he had to do it. But people, they didn't have to do anything at all, Right? God, God, and, and notice that God did not place any restrictions at all on who could qualify for this kind of healing. He, he, no restrictions. Anyone could be healed. Didn't matter, didn't matter how many times they had complained about the food. Didn't matter how many times they'd been bitten by snakes. It was just open for anyone, right? And notice that God did not require them to do anything special. Anything more than just open their eyes and look. They didn't, they didn't have to, you know, crawl up to the pole. They didn't have to touch the snake. There were no special words they needed to recite. Just, God just said, look and live. That's it. Guys, your sin is so serious. It deserves my judgment. Here's my solution. Look. Live. As simple as that. Now, here's what excites me about this story. All right, because I don't live in the wilderness. I'm not eating manna. There are no snakes biting me. Why would this concern me? Here's what excites me about this passage. Jesus, in John chapter 3, Jesus said that this picture of the Israelites being rescued by God, this helps us to understand him. Je Jesus said that he would be lifted up, not on a pole, but on a cross, he would be lifted up just like that bronze snake was lifted up in the wilderness. And he was saying that, listen, it is just as easy for us 
to find salvation through him as it was for those Israelites to find healing back in their day. Jesus said this to a man who perhaps had overcomplicated salvation. He was speaking to a very religious man named Nicodemus who had all kinds of rules he thought he had to follow to somehow be pleasing to God. I wonder if Jesus was trying to say to Nicodemus, man, you are overcomplicating this. It doesn't have to be that hard. And so Jesus said to Nicodemus in verse 13, 14 and 15 of John 3, he said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone, everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life in Him. You know, for, for the Israelites to be healed of the, the, the venom from these snakes, all they had to do was just look at the bronze snake. Guys, for us to be forgiven and restored by God, all we have to do is look to Christ When he went to the cross and suffered the wrath of God there, Jesus did everything that needs to be done for us to be restored to a relationship with God. All we have to do is just with faith, look, trust, live. Now, our sin is serious. Can we just be honest about that? My sins are serious. Yours are serious. We deserve judgment. We deserve hell. We deserve wrath. But would you agree with me that this is really good news? John 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that good news? And what I find interesting in this story of uh, of Moses and the bronze snake is that when Moses set up this snake, you, you didn't have to be close to it, right, to, to look at it and live. I mean, you, 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 could be, you could be all the way on the other side of the camp. You could be way far away. It didn't matter how close you were to it, right? You, you, could, you could be far away. And isn't it something that you don't have to be close to Jesus today to look to him with faith and trust him and live? Maybe... maybe You feel like you've drifted really far away from Christ. It doesn't matter. I I had an aunt, my great aunt Bernice. Uh, My aunt Bernice was born in a Christian family. Her father was a pastor. She had four siblings. All four of her siblings um, from a very early age committed their life to Christ and followed Jesus their their whole lives. Um, My aunt Bernice made very, very different decisions with her life. She just went the opposite direction. Um, As a young woman, she walked away from her heritage, walked away from the church, abandoned her faith, and just lived her whole life without faith in Christ until she was, oh, well into her 70s, maybe 80 years old. And God, in his mercy, at that late age in her life, brought her to her senses, just helped her to realize how far she was from God. And she had this desire to come back to Christ at that age. Think think about how far my Aunt Bernice was from Jesus. I mean, she had been drifting with every passing day of her life farther and farther and farther and farther away from Christ for decades. Think of how far she was from Christ. Do you know how long it took my Aunt Bernice to come back to Jesus? 
just like that. You just, it doesn't matter how far you are. You turn to him in faith, you look, you live. It's that simple. There's an old hymn that says, oh, oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus. Forgiveness receives. The, the, the moment those Israelites, no matter how much poison was in their veins, no matter how many times they'd been hit and bitten, the moment they looked at that bronze snake, listen, they were healed. The moment any one of us with faith looks to Christ and trusts what God offers us in Him, listen, no matter how far you are, that moment, forgiven, restored, accepted by God. John, John 3 verse 17 says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Some people think the reason Jesus came was to make fun of us and point out how bad we are. That's not why He came. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. So I want to ask you, are you believing and trusting in Christ that way? Just say, I am looking to him for forgiveness, for restoration, for uh, Life in God, I'm trusting in Him. If, if, you're, if you're not, listen, today, through me, God is inviting you. Look and live. Look and live. No matter how serious your sins are. By the way, your sins are far more serious than you know. Tim, Tim Keller once wrote this. He said, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. So sin is serious. Don't ignore it. But salvation is simple. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that your word speaks both truth and grace to us. We pray that it would do that for us today, that we would hear the truth of our sin, but we would hear the amazing good news of your grace for us in Christ and that we would run to him, look to him, trust in him, receive from him, the fullness of the love and the salvation that is offered to us freely through him. May you do this in our hearts for your glory. Amen.